Amen. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4 today. Mark chapter 4. If you were here last week, then you may remember we uh, started talking about the authority of God. The authority of God. And, and what that means to us is we as believers, we should understand His authority, but we should go even further than that. We should believe in His authority. And even a step further than that, we should accept the authority of God in our lives, and we're going to continue talking about His authority this morning. As you turn into Mark chapter 4, I'll share a little story with you. Several years back, my friend Dalton Johnson and I, we packed up our backpacks and threw them in the truck, and we started driving to West Texas, do a little bit of backpacking in the mountains, in Guadalupe Mountains National Park in West Texas. By the way, if you didn't know that there were mountains in Texas, you owe it to yourself to drive west and go see them. They're absolutely beautiful, stunning, stunning. And uh, so, so we, we drive out. We leave around midnight one night, and we get to the national park the next day around 4 or 5 p.m. And uh, so we'd spend 16 hours in the truck. And we get there, and we get all of our gear out, and we go out to our spot, and we set up our tent. And we get everything ready. We we cook our dinner on our little camp stoves there, and, and we watch the sun set over the mountains there in West Texas. It's a beautiful, beautiful night. There's a, a nice little mountain breeze blowing by. It's, it's wonderful, and it's, you know, good to be with like-minded people and to encourage one another in the Lord. And so we're out there just gearing up for our week that we're going to spend there. And, and uh, we start discussing our itinerary for the next day, and get everything done, and we decide, well, it's time to go to bed, and so we get in the tent, and we zip it up, and, and we lay down in our, in our uh, backpacks, and, or not our backpacks, in our sleeping bags, and get ready for the night, and we fall asleep, and around, I don't know, 9, 9.30 p.m., that nice little mountain breeze turned into 30-plus mile-per-hour sustained winds, with gusts up to 60 miles an hour. And so here we are, hadn't been in the desert for too long, the desert mountains there, hadn't been there for too long, and we're in a tent, and there are wind gusts of up to 60 miles per hour. Now, I don't know how many of y'all have gone camping before. It can be a very uh, pleasurable and, and leisurely experience, unless you're in a tent with extremely high winds. Now, I, I actually enjoy sleeping in a tent when there's a nice gentle rain. It's, it's soothing. It's kind of a, a soothing experience, you know, to be in a tent and, you know, you hear the rain coming down and, and splashing on the tent, and I don't, it'll, it'll lull me right to sleep. But it's not the case with high winds. If you've ever been in a tent, you, you know that, the, you know, the material it's made out of isn't really substantial, and the, the tent poles, we, we had a tent that was rated for extreme weather, but we found out that it was pushed to its limits that week, and uh, all that night, from about 9, 9.30, all the way to the next morning, these just terrible winds are blowing through the mountains, and all night long, that, that, that tent fabric is just flapping, absolutely terrible. I may have slept half an hour that night. I mean, it was an awful, awful night for me. And that the next morning, I was so happy to see the sun come up because I thought, well, at least I can get out of my sleeping bag now and, you know, face the day. You know, there's just only so long you can sit in one spot, you know, with your eyes closed and just listening to the wind. And so I was happy to get up and I turn over and I look and, and Dalton, he is just passed smooth out in his sleeping bag. And uh, his mom, Jody's here. She, she probably knows this and could detest this. This man can sleep anywhere, anywhere, any given time. I don't know. How many of y'all know someone that can sleep through anything? They can sleep, on, they can sleep anywhere at any time in any condition. I mean, they, you, they get still for five seconds, and they are asleep. Well, this is Dalton Johnson. That's the, that's the way he is. And and so I start, you know, getting my stuff. I'm, I'm you know, shaking all the, the dust that had blown in the tent that night. I'm getting it all out of my ears and my eyes and, and shaking it out of my sleeping bag. Well, he finally turns over and opens his eyes, and I'm like, good morning, beautiful. Did you sleep well? 
I start telling them about my night, and I'm like, man, I, I, I didn't get to sleep hardly at all. I was like, how did you sleep? He's like, well, the wind woke me up a couple of times, but other than that, I slept pretty good. I was like, a couple of times? That wind woke you up a couple of times? I don't know how you got any sleep at all. And he said something. And I remember it. He, was, he said, well, I figured if anything bad was going to happen, it would have happened whether I was asleep or awake. So I just decided to go to sleep. I, I mean, even if I was sure that nothing was going to happen, I just cannot sleep in an environment like that. But hey, kudos to him for being able to do that. I love what he said, though. If anything bad was going to happen, it wouldn't matter whether we were awake or not. It's just going to happen. So I'm just going to go ahead and get a good night's sleep. And it's funny because we can read in the Bible of a person that kind of seemed to have that same, we'll call it a spiritual gift of sleeping, okay? We'll, we'll say that. Let's read it right here in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. It says, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon, a fierce storm came up. And in the Greek, this word fierce storm means a windstorm, a, a, a gale, a wind, a very, very fierce wind. A windstorm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Verse 38, Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. I love how Mark tells us that he was asleep. He had his head on a cushion. How peaceful. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're about to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Someone say a great calm. And then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. Wow. Wow. From reading this text, I believe that sometimes one of the most spiritual things that you can do is to take a nap. Look at your neighbor and say, take a nap. Take a nap. That's going to be the title of our message today. Take a nap. Listen, with everything going on around us in our world, in our, in our culture, and in our little bubble here in, in Cass County, it's not hard for you to get distracted with what's going on around you. It's not hard to, to look at the wind and the waves around you and to become a little bit anxious or, or stressed. And in fact, uh, in 2020, a Gallup poll showed that 60% of American adults struggle with stress and anxiety. That's a majority, 60%. We live in a time where in America, five-year-old children, five-year-olds are one of the fastest growing ages that are being prescribed antidepressants. Five-year-olds. And Americans, contrary to maybe some popular belief, is the hardest working nation in the world. Hardest working nation in the world. Americans work on average 137 hours more per year than Japanese workers. Americans work on average 260 hours more per year than British workers. And 499 hours more per year than French workers. And over 80% of, Ameri of the American workforce claims to work more than 40 hours a week. And listen, I, I, I believe in having a good, strong work ethic. I know Brother Kim would say amen to that. I believe in having a good, strong work ethic. But listen, if we were honest with ourselves, we could agree that most of us have lost the art of healthy rest. We've lost the art of being able to have healthy rest. 
And if we look at the Bible, we'll see that God, not only did he suggest that we should rest, but he commanded the Israelites. He told them, you should work six days, and on the seventh day, you should rest. You should rest. The Bible tells us that God created the world, the earth, the stars, and everything in it in six days, and it tells us that on the seventh day, he rested. He rested. Now, why would God need to rest? Well, the answer is he doesn't. But he left a pretty good example for us that do. We need to rest. love what Jesus says to the storm. He says, silence. It comes from a Greek word, female, which, is a prop, which was probably a slang term, much like if we were to say, shut up. Jesus looks at the wind. It's loud and it's howling all around him. And Jesus, after they wake him up, Jesus says, shut up. Be still. He commands it. He commands it. So here's point number one. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Number one, our God is a God of peace. If you want to experience peace in your life, you are going to have to know three things. And here's the first one. Our God is a God of peace. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. You don't have to turn there. They'll put it up there on the screen for you. It says, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, describes God in this way. It says, now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, it also mentions God as the God of peace. Now, isn't it good that we serve a God that is a God of peace? There are other religions around the world that that serve man-made gods that that aren't gods at all, but but even if they were, they would be gods of war. They'd be gods of of strife and gods of, of conflict. But we serve a God that is a God of peace. But did you notice, the disciples, they get in the boat, and it's anything but peaceful. They're in a boat with Jesus, and it's anything but peaceful. It's chaos, it's terrifying, it's dangerous, it's exhausting, no doubt, but wait a second. If we're Christians, if we're believers, if we're the, the children of God, aren't we supposed to live at, in peace? I mean, didn't God promise us that he would provide our needs and, and he would take care of us and, and he, he would be there for us? And why, why is it that we as Christians deal with a world that is anything but peaceful? We look in the Bible and we see stories about Jonah. He, he was running away from God and he ended up in a storm. But now we read here in uh, Mark chapter 4 that the disciples, they are with God, and they find themselves in a storm, afraid and terrified. So what does that mean for us? I I can imagine unbelievers looking at Christians and thinking we're we're just a little bit off of our rocker, right? (laughs) Like, why would they believe in a God if they are just going to go through the same things that we go through, if they're going to have to weather the same storms that we have to weather. And if you're honest with yourself, you'd say that that's a pretty good point. Like, why would we, as, as believers, why would we submit ourselves to God as our authority if we're still just going to go through the same storms and the same difficulties, the same trials, the same tribulations, the same sorrows, as unbelievers, I wanted to read this verse of Scripture with you, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, because we got to set this straight. As believers, we got to have an answer for this. Now listen, church, I want to encourage you. If an unbeliever comes to you with a question, if you don't know the answer, you should try to find the answer. We need to have an answer. Have an answer. So what does it say? Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. This is Jesus. He says this, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. How many of y'all want that stitched on a pillow in your living room? (laughs) Like, oh, that's that's sweet, Jesus. 
How, how cute. I love that. Jesus comes up to somebody. Hey, hey, I want y'all to know this, y'all. I didn't come to bring peace to this earth. I came to bring a gun. I came to bring a missile. I came to bring a sword. A lot of people were like, wait, wait, hang on. Wait a second, what? What is he talking about? And if we're honest, then we'll admit, I've got some questions too, God. You, you, you call yourself the God of peace, but then Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace to this earth. I came to bring a sword. What does that mean? How, how do we make these two things fit in the same, in the, in the mesh with the same idea? A God of peace, but a God that also brings a sword. So how do we do it, church? I love John chapter 13, or John chapter 16, I'm sorry. Verse 33. This is Jesus again talking, talking to his disciples. He tells them this, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Here's the thing about Jesus. He is polarizing. As he walked this earth, people either loved him or they hated him. People either accepted him or they violently rejected him. There is one thing about Jesus that we've got to know. He is going to polarize this world. You're either going to love him or you're going to hate him. We see it even here today. People either love the idea of Jesus or they hate the idea of Jesus. Here's one thing about him, though. He says this, I did not come to bring peace to this earth. Someone say to the earth. See, our God is a God of peace. But here's point number two. Peace is inside, not outside. The peace that he gives is internal, not external. And Jesus, as as he's walking the earth and people are either loving him or they're hating him, the ones that are loving him are the ones that have found true peace in having faith in him. Those that are hating him are the ones that that are they're they're not there's no peace in their hearts, and you see that there's no peace in their hearts because you see their actions. They take a man that had done no wrong and they brutally beat him. They mock him. They, they pin false charges on him so that he can be accused to death in a system where it was hard to accuse someone to, to, be, to be killed on a cross. The, the Jewish people, they, they make up stories about him to try to get the Romans to execute him on a cross. They hang him on a cross. He spit in his face press a crown of thorns on his head. We see that there is a people that did not have a peace in their hearts. Look at the person you're sitting beside and say, it's on the inside. It's on the inside. And we look through the Bible and we hear a lot about peace. And most often it's not referring to a, a utopian type of peace in our world but it's talking about a peace that can only be experienced in your heart. In 1978, a man by the name of Dr. Amar Bose, he's a sound engineer and MIT professor and a founder of Bose Corporation. Chances are you've probably heard of his company. They make incredible sound devices, speakers, and systems to listen to music and and amplified speaking, and one day he was flying from, in 1978, he was flying from USA to Switzerland, and he was on the plane, and he was offered some headphones by the airplane staff to listen to music on the flight, but in the constant drone of the, the engines and the, the wind over the airplane, he, he couldn't really hear the music, at least not enough to enjoy it. And so he got a paper napkin out, and he began scribbling on it with a pen to see if it was possible to to design headphones that could remove external noise. And the company claims that those mathematical calculations that he scribbled on a piece of paper during that flight from USA to Switzerland was part of what they used, part of an equation of what they used to make what they call now noise 
canceling headphones. In fact, when, whenever he landed in Switzerland, he, he decided to start putting together a, a team of people, which he called the Noise Reduction Technology Group. And their primary task was to develop a device that would not just block external noise, but would cancel it. And so on December 14, 1986, around eight years later, there's another plane. There's two young privates that are flying this airplane. They take off from a desert in Southern California, and this plane remained in the sky for nine days, three minutes, and 44 seconds. The first plane ever to circumnavigate the world without stopping or having to refuel. And in their quest to, to pull off this amazing feat, they were given two sets of prototype headphones that would cancel out the noise of the plane. Because they knew that if these pilots were going to be in this plane for this long, constant, steady noise was going to become a mental factor for them. Nine days, four minutes, and 33 seconds, they wouldn't be able to put up with that constant droning of the engines and the constant noise of the wind on the windshield. And this flight proved to be a successful test. The pilots were able to rest well. They were able to focus. They were able to study, and they successfully brought the plane back home to Southern California. And 34 years later, this technology has been made available to the general public. This Christmas, Emily, my wife, she gave me a, a set of Apple AirPod Pros. And I, I love music. I've always enjoyed music and, and listening to music. And so I was always wanting to have a pair of these. I just never wanted to spend the money on myself for it. She got me a pair and, and gifted it to me on Christmas, and I was excited. I, I like technology kind of stuff. I kind of nerd out on some of those things. And, and so she gave it to me. I was excited. You know, we're, all the kids are unwrapping their presents, and, you know, we're getting breakfast ready Christmas morning. And I pull them out, and I put them in my ears, and I, I pull out my phone, and I start connecting it and putting some music on and start listening to some music. And I notice on my phone one of the settings for these AirPods is something called noise cancellation. I thought, huh, how does, how does a little earbud cancel out noise? So I put it in my ears and I push the button on my phone to turn on the noise canceling. Y'all, I was shocked, amazed, blown away by the ability for this little earbud right here to block out so much exterior noise. Absolutely stunned. Little did I know that two weeks later, I would break a vertebrae in my back, and I'd be sitting in a recliner in my living room for the next six weeks, not able to come to work, not able to go to the office, not able to go to the grocery store, or get around or do anything. I'd be in a recliner in my living room and, and having a six-year-old boy and a two-year-old boy, uh, and they are wild absolutely wild. Having them at home, I knew was going to be a struggle for me to be able to study or read the Word of God or, or do anything that would, you know, be of any use at all. Couldn't get up and do anything, but I thought maybe at least I can study. So I'd put these in every day. And my poor wife, my poor wife, my boys are running around. I'm sure they're screaming, hollering, yelling, throwing things at each other, squealing, and, you know, tearing apart the house, just absolute chaos and destruction. My wife is having to deal with it all. And I'm sitting there in the recliner reading the Bible with these noise canceling, not knowing a thing in the world is going on around me, just perfect peace. And every now and then my wife would come around the corner into our living room and just be looking at me like, I'd be like, oh. Sorry, what's the matter? <laughs> She's like, you can't hear any of that? I'm like, no, thank God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Here's the thing. The peace that God brings isn't an external peace. 
Now, he can. He did calm the storm. That was an external thing. He did, and he can. But the peace he promises us is an internal peace. Here's the beautiful thing about the peace of God. It is so good and so strong that even though the world is chaos around you, you as a believer can live at perfect peace within your heart. Someone say amen. Amen. Here's the hard thing. There's always going to be turmoil. There's always going to be chaos, confusion, temptation, conflict. But here's the truth. You can live at peace. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says, I pray to God, the source of hope, or I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace. Notice, not your community, not, not even your church, not even your home. He said, I will fill you completely with joy and peace. Why? Because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 says, Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. It doesn't make sense to us. But his peace will guard your country and your schools as you live in Christ Jesus. Right? No? No? It says his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, like I said, God can can bring peace to external things, but the promise is that his peace will live inside of the believer, those who are filled with the power of his Holy Spirit. The disciples there in the boat, and no no doubt they're, they're pailing water out of the boat. They're rowing against the waves and the wind, and they're trying to secure valuables and important equipment from going overboard. They're working hard to keep themselves alive. The wind is strong, and the waves are high, and the boat is filling with water. It's starting to sink, and Jesus, he's asleep. He's asleep. Mark even tells us he had his head on a cushion. Jesus was really asleep. He was knocked out. He was sleeping. Notice this. The incredible, loud, ear-piercing howling of the wind didn't wake him up. The waves beating against the boat and tossing it back and forth somehow didn't wake him up. The splash and the spray from the water as it collided with the boat and came over the edge, that didn't even wake him up. It says that the disciples had to go and wake him up. The disciples. And I love how Mark says it. He says, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the waves. When he woke up. I don't know about y'all, but I read it like this. You know, it's like, when Jesus got around to waking up, oh, oh man, that cushion isn't very comfortable. Oh, oh what did y'all need? Oh, oh, all this? Oh, yeah, that's, that's pretty strong wind. Man, these waves are something, aren't they? Yeah. Let me go ahead and I'll rebuke those for you real quick. Hang on, hang on. Silence, be still. It's like when he got up, like when he got around, like after he had had his morning coffee, Jesus <laughs> rebuked the wind and the waves. I love this. Jesus isn't phased a bit. He isn't worried. He didn't wake up and think, oh, my goodness, wow, whenever I got in the boat, it wasn't like this. But now, look, oh, my goodness. But the disciples, they were freaking out. And I want to put this into perspective because if we're going to live at peace, we have to understand the authority of God. Listen, in Genesis chapter 3, God tells us that a seed would come, and this seed would bring peace to the world. This seed would save man from his sins. This seed would defeat the enemy. Genesis chapter 3. And all through the rest of the Bible, all the way up to Matthew chapter 1 in the New Testament, there's thousands of years of human history recorded there. 
And all through those thousands of years, we see that God chooses a certain people, the Israelites, his chosen people, to carry this seed until the perfect time. And all through human history, we see that this people group, Israel, they constantly rebelled. They constantly turned their backs on God. They, I mean, they were, the Bible calls them a stubborn, hard-hearted people. That's pretty strong. Like, I don't know. I don't want God to say that about me. He says, stubborn, hard-hearted, they're rebellious. They're constantly turning away to other things. They're constantly becoming confused and distracted by the outside noises and the winds and the waves of life. But even throughout all those thousands of years, and even though Israel would turn their back on God, and even though they would be oppressed by foreign nations and and be taken captive over here and moved over there, God still protected the seed, the promise that one day out of these people would come the Messiah, the one who would save them and us from our sins. Thousands of years of history, God preserved that seed. And now here's Jesus in the boat with the disciples, and the disciples come to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Notice they said, we're going to drown. They're including Jesus in this. They think this boat is going down and all of them are going to die. Can you imagine? I always thought, you know, whenever Jesus woke up and he rebuked the wind and the waves, he goes and he, he rebukes the disciples. And he says, why are you afraid? Where is your faith? I used to always think, you know, God, what do you mean? Jesus, what do you mean? Why are you afraid? Did you not hear the wind? Did you not see the waves? Like, we are struggling to survive here. This isn't a leisurely boat ride. This is a survival. What do you mean, why are we afraid? But notice, Jesus says, why are you afraid? Where is your faith? In other words, the promise has been given. So even though there's wind and even though there's waves, there should be a peace in your heart because God will preserve the seed. He will preserve the promise. Y'all, this is better than you think. Here's the truth. It doesn't matter what's going on around you today. It matters who's within you. The disciples, they got distracted by the wind and the waves that they forgot who was in the boat. Amen. God didn't go through all the trouble to send his one and only son into the world with a mission to save and to to heal and to reconcile and to deliver and to redeem all of humanity only for him to drown in a lake. It's not going to (laughs) happen. God will preserve his promise. And his promise to us is this. In me you will have peace. In the world, there will be many trials and sorrows, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. I've always thought, God, why don't you just take out all the problems around us? Can you be honest? Raise your hand. Have you ever thought that before? Like, Jesus, why could nobody? I'm the only one. My goodness, y'all pray for me. I'm the only sinner. Have we ever thought, you know, God, why couldn't you just make peace? I mean, we, we look at Russia and Ukraine and we're like, God, if, if there could just be peace here, if you could just heal, you know, some, some, some things and, and fix some things and, and bring about peace, that'd be great. But here's the truth. If God brought about peace today, there would be a new war tomorrow. If God brought about uh, healing in a certain situation, in a certain relationship then there would just be another broken relationship, another harsh word spoken tomorrow. Because here's the truth. What's happening around us is only a byproduct of what's inside of us. The reason we have so much war and strife and conflict in our world is because there's so much war and strife and conflict within our hearts. But Jesus says, hey, listen, if you live in me, if you follow my Holy Spirit, you will have peace in your heart even though the world is going crazy, you will have peace in your heart. Y'all, it's so good to know that we've got a God who has chosen to do something 
about something internal inside of us. He's chosen to give us peace in our hearts. So even though there's chaos around us, even though the storms rage beneath us, above us, all around us, we can still experience peace. Here's point number three. Peace is the product of a submitted heart. Peace is the product of a submitted heart. Jesus confronts his disciples for their lack of faith. Here's the thing. If we're going to experience God's peace, we're going to have to learn to submit ourselves to his authority. Someone say amen. Look at your neighbor and say, that was good. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4, verse, four, verse 7, we said it a, a moment ago. We're going to say it again. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing. If you're going to have peace in your hearts and minds, you're going to have to live in Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 tells us the, the fruits of the Spirit. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Skip down to verse 25. It says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. If you're going to have to, if you're going to experience peace in your heart, you're going to have to follow the Holy Spirit's leading. You're going to have to submit to His authority. Romans chapter 8, verse 6. It says, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. In every area of our lives, we need to be led by the Holy Spirit. And every, I'm so encouraged by so many of you here in our church. You'll come and you, we'll, we'll have conversation together, and I'm always encouraged by the way you allow the Holy Spirit to lead your life. And by the way that so many of you have, have chosen to just submit your life to his authority and just come under his authority and just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. This is one thing I've noticed about people that, that tell me these moments in their lives. This is one thing I've noticed, at least from my perspective, they are living at peace. And even though the world is, is raging around them, there is peace in their hearts and in their minds. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. Please hear me very closely. Even if someone claims to be a believer, you will not experience the peace of God in your hearts unless you submit to the authority of God in your life. In this story, <laughs> I love this. Mark chapter 4, we just read. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start reading from 39 again. It says, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. We have a God that has all authority. The disciples knew that he had some authority because they had seen Jesus heal the sick. They had seen Jesus raise the dead. They had seen Jesus cast out the demonic. They knew Jesus had some authority, but they didn't realize he had all authority. And they're in this boat with him, and Jesus gets up, and he starts talking to inanimate objects, inanimate things, and starts saying, peace, be still. And immediately, the Bible says, suddenly, there was a great calm. This word great calm comes from a Greek word which means perfect tranquility. In other words, no disturbance. Now, this miracle that Jesus did, I want to try to help us understand it a little bit. I don't know if you've ever been on a lake before. If you're reading your Bible, it might say the Sea of Galilee. It's actually a lake. It's not really a sea. Um, and it's, it's over three times larger than Wright-Patman Lake, just to kind of help put that into perspective for you. It's a, a pretty large body of water. And Jesus and the disciples are, are in the boat. 
from where they're going to where they're wanting to end up, it's about a five-mile boat trip across, five miles. They get in the boat. The way that, that Galilee Lake is, is positioned, it's positioned between two different mountains. And what happens is that that warm air that's coming up from the lake, it collides with air that is coming over the top of the mountains. And, and if, if the weather just happens to be just right, that weather colliding will force wind gusts straight down onto the water and cause it to be very violent. This particular lake is, is known for the, the violent windstorms that come up. So this wasn't anything new to the disciples. They fished the Lake of Galilee for, for a living. They're professionals on this lake. And they're out there, and all of a sudden, it gets to be more than they can handle. The Bible says they are afraid. They go and wake Jesus up. Jesus rebukes it, and instantly, not only did the wind stop, but instantly the water goes, and it's perfectly still. You can look down in it and see your reflection. There is no disturbance. That's what this Greek word means. There's no disturbance on the water. It's like looking into a, a, a pane of glass. You can see it perfectly. It's just, can you imagine having that wind and that noise and that sound and Jesus speaks a word and then all of a sudden it is so quiet it's deafening. <laughs> talking about authority. Notice what it says in verse 41. Or start in verse 40. It says, then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? He said, why are you afraid? Look at verse 41. It says, the disciples were absolutely terrified. <laughs> Notice this. During the storm, they're afraid. After Jesus calms the storm, they're absolutely terrified now. Why? Because they have just seen the most powerful display of authority that mankind might have ever witnessed. In a moment, Jesus spoke to wind and water, and it submitted to his authority. And now the disciples, they're absolutely terrified. They're losing it. Who is? is this, that even these things will obey him. Even wind and water submits to the authority of God. Who is this? Now listen, if any political or military leader has too much authority and they use it in an abusive way, we would all agree that that would be a scary thing. We don't want to live in a country or in a place where a leader has more authority than they should and they use it in an abusive way. But here's the beautiful thing about God. We don't have to worry about that. He's got all authority, but his authority is good for you and good for me. And so Jesus asked them, why are you afraid? Almost like he's... I, I, Think, you know, he, he rebukes them, but at the same time, it's like this, almost like a, a motherly rebuke, you know? Like, they, they rebuke, but you know that woman loves you, <laughs> right? It's Jesus rebukes them, but at the same time, he's like, why are you afraid? You don't have to fear. And the disciples are like, oh, my goodness, what just happened? This man, hey, he's, he's got too much power. Who, who is this that even the wind and waves obey him? But listen. We have a God that loves us so much, we don't have to be afraid. He's got all authority, but we have no reason to fear. I believe he'd be saying to some of us today, why are you afraid of this virus? Why are you afraid of this war? Why are you afraid of cancer or sickness or disease? Why are you afraid of, of sinking into depression? Why are you afraid of not being able to make ends meet? Why are you afraid to, to reach out and help someone else because you're barely struggling to survive on your, by yourself? Why are you afraid of what others might think of you? Why are you afraid of what might happen tomorrow? Why are you afraid to step out in faith? Why are you afraid to stand up for what you believe in? Why are you afraid to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why are you afraid to take on this responsibility? Why, Church, why are we afraid? We have nothing to be afraid of. 
Because we serve a God that has all authority and he loves us. He loves us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. We shared this last week. It's so good I wanted to share it again. It says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Wow. If you would, if our worship team would come on up. I love this portion of Scripture in Psalm 46. It says, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Notice it didn't say that there wouldn't be times of trouble. It said he would always be ready to help in times of trouble. So, verse 2, as a result of so, we will not fear when earthquakes come. And when mountains crumble into the sea, I love verse 3, let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the water surge. I love this. The psalmist is saying, hey, listen, we've got a God who is all-powerful, and he loves us, so let it happen. Let the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the wind blow. Let the waves crash into my boat. It doesn't matter because I got peace within me. This peace comes from a God who has all authority. He's been given all authority. He's the head over all things for the benefit of the church. So this week, if you would stand with us this morning, I'm going to worship for just a minute. This week, this is what I want to challenge you to do. And I'm being serious with this. Some of y'all might laugh, but I'm being serious. This is, what, this is a challenge I want you to do. I always try to have something practical that we can do to, to live out what we've heard. James chapter 1, verse 22 tells us that if we just listen to the word but don't do what it says, then we're just fooling ourselves. So I like to listen to the word, and then I like to, to make it apply to my life. And so uh, th- this is what I want to challenge you to do this week. Are you ready? L- look at the person you're, you're standing beside. I want you to tell them this. Take a nap. I'm being, I knew y'all were going to laugh. I'm being serious. Here, here's a challenge. Some of y'all are like, you, you actually need to wake up. Like, come on. <laughs> I want to challenge you to do this. This t- today, go home with your family and plan one day this week. Cancel all of your other plans that day. Go to the grocery store the day before. Buy some food. Rent a movie. Get all of your housework done, everything that you need done. And on this day that you have planned, take a nap. Cook a good meal with your family. Watch a movie together. Open the Word of God together. Pray with one. Get, get, get together and say, hey, we're, we're going to pray for, for just a second. I'll start praying, and then, and then we'll just go one by one, and we'll just pray whatever God puts on our hearts. Listen, God was serious whenever he said, he, he said you need a nap. You need to rest. You need some peace in your life. But so many of us, we, we have this idea that i got to get things done. There's too much to do. I've got too much on my... I'm overworked and... Y'all know all this? Because y'all been there with me too. There's too much to do. Listen, church, you'll never get it all done. You will never get it all done. I promise. The day you die, there will still be more to do. <laughs> Can I encourage you today? Take a nap. Rest in the presence of God. I wonder what it would have looked like if the disciples, as they're in this boat with this storm, I I wonder. I'm not saying it wasn't necessary for them to to try to steer the boat in the right direction and to pail water. I'm not saying that none of those things were necessary, but I wonder what it would have looked like if they would have looked around, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? He's asleep. How in the world can this man sleep in this storm? Guys, what what if we're doing it wrong? What if if we just put down our buckets, put down our oars, 
and just lay down and rest with Jesus. Apparently, he's not bothered by it. Apparently, he's not worried by what's going on. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to make a decision. I'm just going to lay down beside Jesus and rest. And my heart is going to be at peace. Even though the world is chaos around me, I'm okay because Jesus is in me. Because I've got the real captain in the boat. (laughs) I've got the one with all authority on the inside of me. I'm going to read Psalm 46 one more time. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come. And when the mountains crumble into the sea, let the oceans roar foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge because I've got peace within me. Church, this week, I think one of, I'm, I'm being serious, one of the most spiritual things you can do this week is just come under the authority of Jesus and say, God, I'm trusting you with everything in my life. Today, I'm going to spend today with you. It's just going to be us. We're going to have a good time. We're going to cook a good meal. We're going to watch a good movie. We're going to hang out together. We're going to do a little, it's it's supposed to be beautiful weather this week. Set you a little fire in your fire pit in the backyard. Come on, get the family. Just rest. Take a nap. Just rest. I want to share this verse with you as we enter into worship. Psalm chapter 85, verse 8 says this, I listen carefully to what the Lord is saying, for he speaks peace to his faithful people. Come on, y'all. He's speaking peace to our hearts today. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for this opportunity to to hear your word. We thank you for this opportunity to, to be in your house with our brothers and sisters, and we thank you for this opportunity to to just take a moment this morning to put every distraction aside and say, God, in this moment right now, I am choosing peace. I am choosing to rest in your presence as I lift my hands to worship you. I'm choosing to put my trust and my faith in Jesus. Come on, y'all. I know things are a little bit different where we've, we've since the beginning of the year, we've kind of changed up the way our services Praise are a little God. bit. So I want to Hallelujah. encourage you, if you don't have anywhere you've got to be, just stay for a moment and just rest in the presence of God as we worship together. Praise God.